Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. I think I'm going to start at Matthew 25. So if you want to start at Matthew 25, I'd appreciate that. Matthew 25. Now, this is not the text that we're going to be looking at today. This is an introduction text. Um, I'm going to take just a, uh, a brief departure from uh, Revelation. Next week, we'll be back in Revelation again, uh, back in chapter 14. But today, I wanted to bring up something because I'm, I'm sensing things getting closer and closer and nearer and nearer. And because they are, I wanted to have just a little bit of time for us to talk. I'm calling this one Preparing for Another Great Reset. If you've been listening to the news much at all, you know that there are people who believe that they're about to give the world a whole new reset. They're calling it a great reset. And as they're calling it that, uh, the believer is faced with, what do we do with all that? Well, I want you to know that's not the first reset. And it probably won't be the last. Uh, there have been many great resets in the past, and I want to share with you a little bit about that. But before I do, let's talk about preparation. Look with me in Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels and with their lamps. And while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, and behold, the bridegroom is coming out. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And, and while they went to the buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know, uh, you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So there were some things he said to be prepared for. And I want to talk to you about preparation for the Great Reset. That Great Reset is, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you about it in just a minute. Right now, let me just share with you what resets there have been in the past. Now, this time, it's not going to be a text. I'm going to take advantage of the memory that you guys have of the Bible. I know you're Bible students. I know that you work through these things all the time. So we're going to talk about the big picture of the Bible and what great resets there were in the Word of God. Let me start with the very first reset there was. How about the expulsion from the Garden of Eden? There's the first reset. You, you got to admit, kids, what they were told to do in the garden is not what they have to do outside the garden. There was a whole new plan outside the garden. You don't have all the things outside the garden in the wilderness that you had in the garden. You don't have the tree of life. You don't have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you don't have fellowship with God. That's something you're going to have to find out how to do. In the garden, you had con continuous fellowship with God. But because of a broken relationship with God, they went into a great reset. Because of a broken relationship with God, they were expelled from the garden and they went out. And of course, that meant a geographical relocation. You know, not only did you have a broken relationship with God, but you had a geographical relocation. They weren't in the garden anymore. They got moved around to a new territory and that new territory meant they had to do new work. That meant things were going to change. They're in a new economy. You follow what I'm saying? That, that word economy is a Greek word. Economy comes from the Greek word oikos, namos. Oikos, that means house. Namos, law. Then oikos is the law of the house. Therefore, people who were practiced oikonomos were people who were called stewards. You were stewards of what the law of the house was. So every economy is the law of the house. It's the rules that make anything work. And when you have a great reset, you're having a change in the economy. Everybody follow me? It's a change in the economy, or it's a new dispensation. That's what it's called. 
we, we follow a dispensational understanding of Scripture here, and that's what we're seeing. There is a change, a reset that's taking place with the expulsion from the garden. Their way was blocked. They couldn't go back now to the temple. There was no way to get back to the old way. You could pine about the old way if you wanted to, but you're not going to get back there. That way was blocked, okay? And many people have said after COVID, when do we get to the new normal? Uh, When is it going to be a new normal? Uh, Kids, I don't know if there is ever going to be a new normal again, but nonetheless, let me go to another great reset, the great flood. When the great flood came, it came as a direct result of a broken relationship to God that's going to realize itself in a serious climate change. Would you agree with me there? That was a serious climate change. That's going to change the way weather operates. That's going to change the way the sun operates. That's going to change the way everything operates. You had a topographical relocation. You had the, the, the fountains of the deep breaking up, and that's going to create breaks in the rock all over the place, which is going to lead us to where we are today with those rocks trying to get back in place again, and those are called earthquakes when you're going to have those kind of things operate. You're going to have a lot of friction there. There's going to be, well, uh, more about that later. Um, It came from a broken relationship with God. Suffice it to say, geographical changes took place, relocations took place. I'm going to say the economy changed. Okay. Now, here's, here's some just changes in the economy. Number one, what were you to eat before the great flood? Plants. We were vegetarians before the great flood. After the great flood, here's a change. Now you can eat animals. Before the flood, we had a relatively good relationship with the animals. We're supposed to be taking care of them. That was our responsibility. Remember, have dominion over the the things which are on the earth, the things which are in the air, the things which are in the water. We're supposed to take care of them. Now we're going to be eating them. Do you suppose that's going to affect our relationship with the critters? Yes, and they're going to likely defend themselves. I, I saw a, a deal the other day, and I, I, I had to somewhat laugh at it. Anybody been to Yellowstone National Park? Yeah. That is a gorgeous, gorgeous place. Really love it. But can I say, there are some big critters in that place. They're, they're, they're massive. When it comes up to you in, as you're in your car, which is wisdom, okay, as you're in your car, and you're looking at about shoulder you realize that that's big. What gets into people's head to get out and pet that thing? I I guess I'm just not getting, I understand a chihuahua. I understand why you might pet a chihuahua. But a wild beast? I saw one the other day that had (laughs) four humans (laughs) decaled on it. (laughs) Having a great year at Yellowstone. Anyway, my, my point was, we don't get along with them like we did before. There was a great reset that took place there. Everybody understand it? And you're going to have to learn to live with a great new sh- reset. Uh, following that, that uh, flood period, likely was a great, great ice age that took place. You're going to have to learn how to live with all of that. So we've had great resets before. This won't be a brand new idea to have a great reset. Number three, how about the great divorce? Uh, the great divorce is the Tower of Babel. It's at that tower when another broken relationship with God, where people decided they don't need God anymore, they'll just be on their own, they'll do their own thing, and God gave them a great reset. That great reset this time was going to lead them to geographical relocation again. They're going to be scattered throughout the world as they were supposed to have been and didn't do. They are going to have now a broken relationship with God as God is saying, I won't talk with you anymore. I'm done with you. I will select my own people later, but for right now, know this, I'm divorcing you. You're separated from me. And I'm going to give you aids that will help you come back to me. They're supposed to work against, they're supposed to work with me to get you to see how you can come back to me. And that was the divine counsel. That was given to each of the different ethnic groups and geographical groups that were spread out over the world. That was the great divorce that took place. That's a great reset, kids. Again, why did it come? A broken relationship to God that's going to lead to some climate changes because everybody that's moving to a new location, they're moving to locations that are going to be sub-zero temperatures, 
I don't understand that one. Desert temperatures. Not sure I understand why you'd want to live there. But that's the places they went. You follow me? Those are things that are going to happen to them. Does the economy change? You betcha. When you get away from there now and it's just your clan, your family, your tribe that's going to become a nation, you're going to work your rules there with how you're going to live in that area. And the economy is going to change because the flora in that area is not going to be the same as it was where you were before. You're going to see cactus where you used to see banana trees. You're going to see all kinds of changes take place in that. You're going to have to learn to live with that. So your economy is going to change. And the big economy changed because you don't have a relationship with God. And you've got to find out how you get to have a relationship with God. That's a great reset, kids. That's, that's a great reset. The next one, how about the selection of Abraham and his family? Now that came, what, what was Abraham before he became the Abram that we know, the Abraham we know about? Where was he living? Ur of the Chaldees. What was he living with? Idolatry. And there's going to be a change. He already had a broken relationship with God, but God's going to make a relationship with that man, and he's going to geographically change where that man lives. So he's taking him to a new place. There's going to be a new climate. This time, God didn't use the climate change as the reason for moving. That's not what he did. He motivated him by a call, and that call took him north and then took him back south again. So he went to the promised land. That is a reset for Abraham. All of his life changed. Everything about him was going to change. All right? How about the next one? I call this one from free grazers to enslaved people. From free grazers to enslaved people. That same Abraham had learned a, an economy. He had learned a way of life. They were shepherds. And they moved around all the time. And he learned how to live in his, his clan and his group. He had learned how to live with the peoples who were all around him. There were lots of idolaters, lots of unbelievers that lived all around him. And he learned how to live an economy in that. But through a dramatic climate change, a dramatic climate change. May I ask, who's in charge of climate changes? God Almighty, all right? And he uses climate changes to move people around. He uses climate change for people to think their way through things they hadn't thought of before. He changes economies. They hadn't been thinking of what they could do anyplace else. They had found comfort with it, and a lot of times he used climate change to get rid of them. That's believed what happened with the Cahokias that were on Cahokia Mounds. All of that group, and it looks like now, uh, flooding took place for about three or four years there, followed by a great famine that took place there, a real drought that took place. And that's likely why that place that could have had as many as 60,000 people living in it became abandoned. You can go see Cahokia Mounds now, and the people who live around there are not the Cahokias that were living there before. Climate change moved them. Climate change is something that God uses to move people and make them think their way through things. But this group, this is the family of Jacob, and a climate change caused them a geographical location. That geographical location is going to lead to a broken relationship with God. You say, what? what? They didn't do anything sinful. They did what was necessary, they felt, to get themselves in the right place. But where did they go? They went to Egypt. What's, what's something we can know about Egypt? That Egypt was an idolatrous country. So they're moving into a new economy. You follow that? They're going to have to be with the Egyptians whose Pharaoh got up every morning and he was responsible for bringing the sun up. And he does his rituals. He does the things that he does. He raises his hand. The sun comes up and people worship him as the son of God. He is a God. That's going to be a new thing for our good friends, the, the Israelis that have now moved into that economy. All right? So they're getting an, an economic change there. They, are not going, they did not bring with them an Old Testament. Matter of fact, there isn't anything written at all. They did not bring with them any written record of what God's about. They brought with them an oral record of what happened with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
they're bringing that oral record with them, and Joseph is going to help them know a little more about the Lord. And we'll talk more about Joseph in just a minute as well. But uh, there is a change there. Literally, that led to them becoming enslaved. That's a total change in economy. All right? So that is from free grazers to enslaved people, another great reset. The exodus and the conquest of the promised land. Can I tell you, there were major environmental disruptions through the plagues. Major environmental disruptions through the plagues. Lots of things happened during that plague period, right? Think about it. You've got the Nile turning to blood. Do you suppose that's going to create any sort of environmental change? You betcha. You've got frogs coming up all over the place. Will that change anything? Yeah. How about some hail? Yeah. That's, there's a lot of things that are going to change. It's going to be a major climate change took place there in a very brief period of time. What's it made for? To make people reconsider what they're doing and to move some folk around. All right. So that's, that's from uh, the Exodus and the conquest. They're going to come up with a new economy because as God moved them around, when God got them to the place he wanted to in Sinai, he's introducing them a new economy, a new dispensation. He's giving to them law. And here's the covenant we're going to live with. That's how you're going to live. That's a great reset. They had been living in Egypt as slaves. Now they're going to live as free people. They've been living in Egypt with the idolatry that went on in Egypt. Now they're going to be sole lovers of Almighty God in a group of uh, tribes and clans that also are idolatrous, all right? Then follow that. I'm just going to call this one simply Gentile empires, Gentile empires. And how many changes are going to be every time another Gentile group conquers your group? Just think, every time that another group of Gentiles rose up and decided they were going to conquer somebody's land, what kind of changes did they bring? They brought the changes of their customs, their groups, their worship, their gods. That's going to change the economy for the people living there. And with that, they're going to see everybody who is under them as less than them. They're conquered people. Conquered people have to learn our ways, have to do our ways, have to speak our language, or we'll ghetto them. Well, or we'll put them in a place where they'll be our slaves. And they human trafficked them. Human trafficking is not anything new. This is as old as conquest is. As time, as soon as you had any sort of conquest going on, that's all the way back with Nimrod. As soon as you had any kind of conquest going on, the conquered people wound up being trafficked. They were used as slaves, used for whatever of the conquering group wanted to use them. So that's not anything new. So if somebody tries to tell you uh, the, the British Empire and the Europeans brought on a new concept of, of colonizing that brought on human trafficking, not even close to true. That's going on for many, many years of, from many, many different groups, all right? So I call that the Gentile empires. Again, that's coming from a broken relationship with God that is often going to lead to geographical relocation. Am I sounding like a broken record? Are you saying, okay, we're we're tired of this. Move on. I I understand why you want to do it. I want to show you why great resets are great resets. All right. Let me go on one couple other things here. The coming of Christ. Was that a reset? Oh, guys, talk about it. I hope we're not living in it so long we've forgotten what it is. God forgave our sins and drew us into a relationship with him and gave us a whole new way of living. That is a reset, a major reset. We've been living with it so long, we don't think of it as a reset. Now when somebody comes along and says, we don't like you, and we're getting rid of you, we think, oh, how bad, there's a reset. There's always been a reset. We are part of that reset. And may I say, we'll be a part of the next reset. God has a way of dealing with all this historical stuff in such a way that he's got another great, great reset we call the millennium. There will be a major reset in that one. Okay, let me go to this, to this next one. Letter I, in my outline, you don't have it. It's just uh, world empires and the conquest of the rest of the world. That brought about continuous displays of great resets. Lots of resets. Every time somebody got conquered, there's a reset. Uh, and so the fact that this is a new thing is just not true. 
It isn't, all right? But when, I want you to think about what's happened just since the, the time of uh, Roman Empire conquest. Since that time, more human trafficking has gone on now because you've got more people and more waterways to take people. Well, I should say waterways only, just transportation ways of getting people around the world, so you get a lot more of that. Farming technologies. Can you think how farming technologies have changed just in the last hundred years? let alone the farming technologies that's, that's gone on for centuries now. It brought about industrial technologies. Man, think about all the things that have happened in industry so far. That was a great reset. Do you realize every time some industrial thing came up that you had a reset? You have to learn to live a new economy when you now have a lot of people working in, 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 in industry. There was increased knowledge and the supporting technologies. Man, we have uh, uh, books and things that we can look at now. Do you realize there was a time when not everybody could have a book? Man, you you can get on Amazon, a books or whatever else, and have a a new book in your possession within a a two-week period. Sometimes you get it the next day. And it's loaded with information and knowledge, just like Ecclesiastes said, just like the end of Daniel said, knowledge will increase and the writing of books is going to continue. We have a lot of books now. There's all kinds of information technologies you can pick up about any subject you want. It's amazing. Those all represent resets. There are changing demographics. When you move people around by a geographical relocation, you're going to change the demographics. Every time you have a new group move into your area, there's going to be a good chance there's going to be some new marriages taking place there and a new kind of people that's going to be produced from that. You've got changing demographics all the time. All right? And with that, we also have had ravaging diseases. Hey, look, COVID is not the first plague that ever hit the world. Remember, the Black Plague nearly wiped out Europe. So we've had lots of plagues before. That's not anything new. But it does move people around. And nine times out of ten, it is coming because of a broken relationship with God. So let me go now to letter J. Letter J in your outline, common characteristics. What are some common characteristics of resets? Number one, a broken relationship with God. God often sends a reset because of a broken relationship with God. The Nebuchadnezzar was not a nice guy. Okay, when anybody tries to tell you Nebuchadnezzar was not a nice guy, he delighted in killing who he wanted to kill, just to kill him. That guy was not a nice guy, but God called him his servant who was going to come and paddle his people, his own people. And he's going to move them out of their land over to Babylon and spank them good. Now, that's a reset. That's a reset. And it was brought on by a broken relationship with God, by God's people. And it was led by someone who definitely was not godly. Second one, it brought about geographical location, relocation, I should say, geographical relocation. Oftentimes, people get moved around during a great reset. Why? Sometimes it's employment. Uh, Think of the number of people who leave Illinois for employment because they know their business can't operate in this tax state. Think of the number of people who move from California to Texas or the number of people who are moving all around. Some people who are moving to get away from any kind of city economy and move into areas where that's going to create a reset. You're going to have to reset. A, I, I watch one particular couple, Doug and Stacy. They're homesteaders, and they left uh, the city directly. I mean, they just said, we're done with the city. They went to the country knowing nothing. You think there was a reset that took place there? Yes, they definitely had a reset. They had to learn how to do things because they decided they'd just do everything off-grid. Do you think you could change over the next weekend to go off-grid? Now, some of you may have gone camping, and you think of that as off-grid. Okay, camp for 16 years. It doesn't feel quite the same as it does when it's six days, you know? Um, so it, there brings about geographical relocation. 
Often, God used weather and environmental changes to motivate movement and change in action. There were some wars that had been fought that were lost because of weather. Just a few changes, a, a, a storm at sea. It could have been a storm on the earth, something that led to mud that kept them from being able to do what they thought. I mean, you, you think about what's going on in the Battle of the Bulge with that tr- tr- terrible winter that took place there. Um, then often uh, he uses economic pressure to create change. He was sometimes changed. Matter of fact, it looks like part of what happened with the Roman Empire that brought about its demise was they began to really enjoy importing things from China. As they imported things from China, China wanted to be paid in gold. So the Romans kept paying them in gold until they they altered their own gold, gold supply to the place. They didn't have enough to make their economy operate properly. With a broken economy, conquest became much easier. Everybody see where we're coming from? All right. So those are the type of things that take place there. Uh, there has to be a change of behavior to accommodate the new economy or dispensation. When a new economy comes, when a new dispensation comes, you have to learn how to do things differently. Uh, just think what COVID did to us as far as an economy comes. How many behavioral changes did we make to accommodate that change and what took place with us? That was a reset. That was a reset. All right. And then nine times out of ten, it, de- it led to the development of an elite group that felt powerful enough, wise enough to rule everybody else. Those are things you'll see in a great reset. When I look at where uh, Israel went, when they went down into Egypt, they were there with a friendly Pharaoh. As long as Joseph was alive, the Pharaohs could be friendly. But another Pharaoh arose sometime later that didn't know Joseph and had no thought for Israel. That elite the, that elitist began to rule over them and turned them into slaves. That you can expect in a great reset. And the great reset that's being talked about right now is not one bit different. It still has an elitist group who believe they're smart enough to lead all of us and to be uh, in charge of everybody. Let's talk about what this present reset has in it. All right. Now you'll have some blanks to fill in for those who like to fill in blanks. Here we go. First of all, it's a complete rejection of biblical worldview and values. This reset starts with a complete rejection of the biblical worldview and values. It sees the the worldview that you hold as being the worldview of ignorance, that it's not scientific, it's it's not wise, it's not smart, it's not good. That's backward, irrelevant people from the mid centuries of the dark ages. That's that's the way they're seeing. Uh, people there. And the people who hold that worldview, they don't count as real humans. They count as something that needs to be um, controlled or extinguished. All right? And the same values that have come from that, they don't hold. We'll talk some about that at the point coming up. They have accepted the adoption of a climate change mindset. Let me see if I can tell you what I mean by a climate change mon- mindset. The climate change mindset believes that you believe in the natural world only, that there's not an intervention from, from uh, God, there's not an intervention from anything divine, that if there's any problems on earth, they have come because of us. We have created those problems. There can't be a God in there because they've rejected the biblical worldview. They're not going to see a God that's, in, that's valued in it. And because of that, they have this climate ch- uh, change mindset that sees the world threatened by human existence and antiquated ways that have oppressed indigenous peoples. Everything that threatens the environment must be destroyed and abandoned. It must be replaced with a green agenda. That's a part of it. The events of the climate have no divine origin or intervention. It's all man-made and can therefore be controlled by men. So that's the adoption of a climate change mindset. Uh, Letter C. It's the rejection of free market competition. Now, 
in, in much of what we do, we do have a free market competition. But there's a whole lot of things we don't have a free market competition. It's a, it's a thing of the, the past, I think a relic sometimes. But free market competition means that you can choose where you want to eat. You can choose where you want to buy things. You can choose what you want to make. A free market economy says, I think there's a better mousetrap, and I want to make one. A free market economy says, go for it. If it really is a better mousetrap, it'll sell better. It'll be something that you can profit from. That's a free market competition. And secondly, capitalism. We, we're not living in capitalism, kids. We're living in crony capitalism at the very best. Matter of fact, it doesn't even smack of capitalism. So if, if, if people are looking at what's going on today and calling that capitalism, please change your mind. That's, that's not true. What's going on right now is really a, a monopoly that's being uh, determined by a lot of individuals. They want to get rid of individualism. We don't need individuals. We need people who are a part of the plant part of the plan, and that's all they think about is part of the community. They want to eliminate private property. The Great Reset wants to get rid of private property. And again, I will say that's not anything new. Our Senator, Dick Durbin, has for years wanted to get rid of private property. I found that out only because I ride motorcycles. And because I ride motorcycles, I like to keep up with motorcycle legislation. And I found out that he doesn't want us to have motorcycles. That's an individual transportation. He wants us to have complete uh, community transportation. That public transportation is the only way people should get around. And people should not have private property where they have to make their own decisions about where they go to work or not. But they live in communities, uh, uh, apartment complexes, where the public transportation comes by and picks you up and takes you to work. Uh, that's the design community that Dick Durbin has in mind. He's had that for years, kids. That's, that's got to be at least 12, 15 years that he, I know he, he said that. I read it in his uh, 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 Star State Facebook page. That's not what is it, in his uh, website. That's what he wants to do. That's what this wants, elimination of private property. Now, someday we need to talk about private property because it's important that everybody have private property. Uh, well, I'll go on further. They want to get rid of personal freedom. Uh, you should, you should, freedom is limited to what the group wants you to have. They want to get rid of nations. Uh, we should not have nations and the nationalism that often goes with it. We want to be rid of fossil fuel energy, of farming as we know it, of population growth, of the nuclear family, and of the value of life. That's all part of the Great Reset, all right? With it comes the acceptance of the Marxist critical theory, replacing class with race and intersectionality as fact, not theory. It's called critical theory because it's a theory. It's not a fact. It is something that uh, Marx, following a, philo a German philosopher named Hegel, came up with is you have a thesis, a statement that the, this is the way community is, and you have an antithesis, this is the way it ought to be. And when the two of them clash, because they will, they will clash, the clash of those two produces a hybrid that is called the synthesis. Everybody with me so far? Don't, don't go to sleep on me here. The, the thesis, antithesis, well, Marx saw that and he said, you're right. It's the capitalists versus the working people. There's got to be a clash. And when there's a clash, out of that will come a little bit better government. Let's maybe a socialist government is what will come out of it. But with that socialist government, that forms a new thesis. And now an antithesis will come up to that. They'll clash. And when they clash, a new thing will pop up out of it. And the new thing that pop up, well, literally, What's going to take place is all these clashes wind up with a utopia. In other words, it's, it's a godless kingdom of God. It is a utopia, and all these clashes will lead to it. So what Marx said, what Engels said, and what Lenin and others picked up on, since that's where it's headed, since that's where we're going, let's cut to the chase. Why do we want to have all those clashes in between? Let's just kill the people who would create the clash. And that's the way they do it. They just wipe out the people who create the clash. That's why so many millions died in China. So many millions died in Russia because they needed to get rid of that which is going to oppose the utopia. That's what the Great Reset wants to accomplish. 
but the Great Reset doesn't necessarily want to kill everybody in between. They'd like it to be a slow, gradual thing. They will have to kill some because there are some of you who are so stupid you're going to believe biblical world values. You follow me? Some of you are going to have to go. We're taking numbers today. Well, anyway. uh, Letter E, using crisis as motivation for change. Even creating crises to have one worthy of fear-mongering for effect. Downright propaganda. That's all it amounts to, kids. And propaganda is a great tool of the Great Reset. As long as you can tell people something that's not true and get them to believe it. As long as it creates the fear that you need because in fear you won't think. In fear, you'll just respond emotionally to what's going on and that that fear will lead you to listen to their secure answer for what's going on, all right? Letter F, that result, the result of that will be in a pre-industrial serfdom with an elitist governing structure of ignorance of good governing and true values. It will be totalitarian. You can't keep from it. It has never been anything but that. As long as you have thinking people, you'll have people who oppose it. And as soon as you have people who oppose it, you have to get rid of them. It's never been anything but that, kids. That's the Great Reset. All right? Now, let me see what I meant by that. It is, I mean, I don't mean this to be crude, but to think that you can have an electric car that would go across the United States without fossil fuel is absolutely insane at this point. How are you going to do that? What electricity are you going to plug into? Who's going to make that electricity? If somebody has to make the electricity that you're plugging into so that your car can go, when that battery goes down, you're going to have to replace the battery. The battery will cost you as much as the car. Folks, this is just insanity. Yet, it's propaganda enough and it sounds enough that it makes it seem like that's a great answer. Can I tell you? Well, we'll get to that. Let's, let's, let's go to the second page because that's where we get to that, okay? The second page comes from Genesis 41 through 47. Genesis 41 through 47. And I'm going to turn there just so I can have a, a good reference point for it. Uh, when you see this, uh, what, the, what the story is in Genesis 41 to 47, it'll come back to you very quickly. Um, <clears throat> it's about a dream. It's about a dream that a Pharaoh had. And this uh, Pharaoh had this dream about seven really good cows looked like they were doing great, and then seven sickly, weak uh, cows came up out of the river, and they ate the big cows. What does that mean? Well, here, let me share this with you. Pharaoh is not a godly man. And information is given to an ungodly man that is an advanced warning about a reset that's about to take place. Everybody see where I'm at? There's about to be some real geographical changes that are going to take place. A climate change is on its way. There's going to be some problems that are coming up. All right. So God gives advanced warning, and the leaders are wise to listen. He gives them uh, Pharaoh. Uh, look at verse 25 of 41. Genesis 41, 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh. Who showed Pharaoh? Not Amun, not Uk, not Anak, God, the God, not the gods of Egypt, okay? So God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, the seven good heads are seven years, and the dreams are one. The seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I've spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. There's a reset coming. Here's what I'm about to do. 
Seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land, so the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, and it, for it will be very severe." And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth, that's 20%, of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities." Then that food shall be as reserved for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, uh, that the land may not perish during the famine. That sounded like a good plan. Matter of fact, it sounded so good, Pharaoh adopted it. Not only did he adopt it, he made Joseph second in command. Matter of fact, he put Joseph in charge of the whole program. And so they began for seven years collecting 20% taxes on everybody that is in that land. So 20% of your produce came to the government and it went into a storage unit. They they were going to take care of it there, all right? Well, that, of course, is what brought about another great reset. Um, That great reset is going to be Joseph's brothers coming down now, and much of the story is about that. So let's let's, uh, cut over to 47, all right? Let's cut over to 47 just a minute. Letter B in your outline there, just so you can go ahead and fill the blank in there. Safety and survival as a pretext for intervention. Remember, God is sovereign, okay? So safety and survival is a pretext for intervention. The leaders of the country believed it. They understood what Joseph was saying, and they saw his plan as a good plan. The people of the country didn't get to hear about the plan. They got to hear about the result. What's going to take place about that? So it's not their vote on what they get to do. No plan was offered of personal savings. Here's what you should do, every single one of you. You should set aside a certain amount for this, for that, that, you know, because there's going to be a famine coming. None of that was given. Here's our solution to of a problem you don't even know about yet. We're going to tax you with 20% taxes, and you're going to be paying those taxes, and later you'll be receiving them back. So 47 Let's go to 47.13. Now, there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt, the land of Canaan, languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan for the grain which they brought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Now, what's what's the deal? They're making an exchange. I've got grain. You've got money. Now, at that time, money is not paper. It's real stuff. It's real metals. It's real valuable things that you can put. So people are bringing their valuable things, which they're saying, what good is to have a valuable thing if I'm hungry? So you give up your valuable thing and exchange, you get some food to eat. Sound like a good exchange. With that exchange then, Joseph is collecting everybody's money. So he's getting coins from all the different places in the world, all made from the known world at that time, all made from the metals that are precious metals. Everybody with me? So he's getting to collect them all. Now, Pharaoh's getting a pretty good treasury built up. All right. Now, let's go on further. Um, He says, so when the money failed in the land of Egypt, in other words, everybody gave up all their money for food. So the money I had, all my savings now are in the mutual fund of the treasury of good old Pharaoh. So when that's all gone, so when the money failed in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. We don't have anything else. We can't buy anything. Then Joseph said, give your livestock and I'll give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So there you got some collateral. You have collateral, so let's give your collateral. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle, the herds, for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. All right. So now who owns all the livestock in the area? Now get the picture. The livestock are the food. That is your tools. 
That's how you do all your planting. So now that I've given up my livestock and I don't have any livestock to buy, how will I plant the next year? That's all by hand. Now, that's going to reduce the amount that I get to produce, right? All right, let's go on further. When that year had ended, they came to him, verse 18 says, then to the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Now look, I, I, survival has got to be more important than the things that I'm, I have here. So what good is the things I have if I don't survive? That's their thinking. I need, to, I need the security there, okay? Let's go on further. Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed. We may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every man of the Egyptians sold his field because of the famine was very severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he moved them into the cities from the one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh. They ate their rations, which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Now, verse 23, then Joseph said to the people, indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. It shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh, four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field, for your food, and for those of your households, as for food for your little ones. Look at this, kids. When a tax is placed, it doesn't get removed. All right? That's a, this is a principle of government you're going to see right here. Once the government figures out that here is a cash cow, no pun intended, once they figure out this is a cash cow, then they're not giving it up. They own the people. They own the money. They own the land. They own the livestock, and the people are going to work for them. All right? Now, letter C in your outline, a seemingly innocuous plan that leads to enslavement, preparing for the disaster. Look, it's, it would seem like a simple plan. This was a good plan. Here's a way for us to have all that. But that's going to lead to I mean, why couldn't that, that money was theirs, was it not? That food was theirs. But as soon as it came into the storehouses of Pharaoh, it's now his. How's that? So when it comes time to give some back, it's not considered theirs anymore. It's his. Why should it be his? Who worked for it? They did. Whose land was it on? It was theirs. So this was all this. So they, they gave it to the government to give it back to them, and now Joseph is charging them for it. They're paying dearly for what security they're going to get from that. Everybody follow where we're at? All right. That is a reset. Everybody, that's a reset. Letter D, that allowed them to establish governmental controls. There was a pluralistic solution that leaves God out of the picture. And I want you to notice, here's what I mean by that. When Joseph got past the idea of God being the one who revealed it to Pharaoh, you don't hear Joseph mentioning God again. When it came time to give their food back to them, did he stop and say, God has shown me that you can have this back again. We've just been storing it for you. No. No, he feels that now without God in the picture, he can just go ahead and charge. He's doing a great business for Pharaoh, but not such a great business for the people and not mentioning God in it. So what seemed like an innocuous plan at first that's going to lead to an entanglement now is going to lead to a great problem. But my point was this, just as it was with the, in Matthew 25, preparation was important making preparation for what you're going to need, what you're going to need ahead of time is important. Joseph did it. The virgins did it. It's about preparing, friends. So when there's a great reset coming, we're supposed to do some preparing. All right, let me go on further with you. Letter E, it created a debt mindset. All is owned by the government. This is socialism. It created a scarcity. You guys don't have anything. We have it all. So you guys are in trouble. Come to the ones who have abundance, and you can take from our abundance. You're in scarcity. You don't have the, the way to govern yourself. You don't have the way to take care of yourself. We have the stuff that you need, so come to us, all right? 
That's socialism. They owned not only the lands, they owned the production of those lands, they owned all the produce, they owned everything. All right? So that's what socialism is. And that's what the Great Reset that is being discussed now plans for us. Letter F, greater demands by the government led to loss of freedom and gain of, indep- of dependence upon the government. It was depriving people of basic living without government approval. You, you didn't have any things that you could get. You, I mean, how basic you get when it's food? You can't get more basic than that. And the basics you needed for living because of a government policy had led now to where people are going to have to get from the government what they need. That created an unnecessary dependence. All right. Let me go on. Let's talk about biblicals of principle, uh, biblical reference. Yeah. It's letter G. Can you read it there? And it's, Yeah. Okay, sorry about that. Let me start with this. Preparation honors God. Preparation honors God. When we're talking to you about preparing, when I'm trying to share with you about preparing, it honors God. Do you think God prepared for a world or just said, let's just do this? Oh, that would be cool. Think about that. When God was going to have people living on the earth, what preparations did he make to have them there? I mean, listen, water, soil, light, air, vegetation, all of it. He's making a preparation for them. Is it right for you to prepare? Yes. Uh, the scriptures say in Proverbs, look at the ants, you sluggard. They are a small people, yet they prepare for the winter. It's not wrong to prepare. Some say, well, that's not faith. Yes, it is. It's faith that God says he's going to do this. It's what's going to happen. If he says, I'm about to do a great reset, and I believe him, that's called faith. And he's about to do a great reset, kids. If you haven't figured that one out yet, yeah, what am I talking about? I know you figured it out. You're a biblical people. You know this. All right, let me go on further with you. Anxiety and fear do not honor God. Anxiety and fear do not honor God. Would you run out the side there, Matthew 6? Matthew 6. In that chapter, Matthew 6, there's a whole section there where he talks about anxiety and fear, where he says, take no thought for what you're going to eat, take no thought. The idea can come across that um, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't work. You shouldn't do anything. You shouldn't prepare. You shouldn't save up because he says, look at the lilies of the field. They don't, wear, they don't store anything up. They don't, they don't tarry. They don't do all the things that you do. That's not saying they don't work, kids. It's saying they don't do the work you do. You follow where I'm coming from? They don't do the work. Does a plant work? Yes. The whole season is working. That's what it's all about. It's all about working. It's drawing up the the moisture it needs, drawing up the nutrients it needs to produce the fruit it's going to produce. That is its work. It doesn't do it like we do. No. Does it store it up? That depends. Is it a a perennial or an annual? It kind of depends, doesn't it? All right. So my, my point was this. His was about anxiety and fear being afraid for what's about to come rather than doing it by faith. I'm calling on you to prepare by faith. You're about to face some serious times, and it's time for us to consider, am I ready for those serious times? I want you to know we are facing a very serious food crisis. There are things happening, kids, that I kid you not are really going to produce a serious situation for us. You, You may see beef prices go down quite a little bit. Uh, for the present time, and that is just for the present time. People are having to sell off their, um, their mama cows. I'll say it that way. They're having to sell off their producers, the things that are going to give them, because they don't have the money, they don't have the wherewithal to buy the fertilizer because it's not even available. What is available is so expensive they can't afford it. And rather than try to starve their cows out and make it through the year, they're selling their cows out. I'm talking going from uh, a feedlot that sells 500 cows a day to a feedlot that's selling 5,000 cows a day and not at real good prices. Do you follow where I'm coming from? That's going to be a change in the economy. Can you agree with that? You've got a whole lot of things going on with this famine that's covered about 70% of our producing property. And with that producing property that can't produce anymore, man, what food do you think there's going to be? Are you thinking ahead? 
it honors God when you prepare. Fear and anxiety do not honor God. All right? Well, my time's gone. All problems are about our relationship to God. When we're talking about a great reset, again, all problems are about our relationship to God. I think David Tyler says it this way, all problems are theological. And they are. They're about our relationship to God. So as you think your way through this, kids, think your way. How is my relationship to God? What is happening? What is happening around us is a broken relationship to God that's leading to some geographical relocations. What's happening on our southern border? What's happening to our economy? What's going on with it? What's happening that God is doing with a climate change that's changing things for us? There's a great reset taking there. Are you thinking your way through how to prepare? Will you be a wise virgin? Will you be a foolish virgin? It's just as simple as that, all right? Going on. Careful thought, prayer, and repentance, followed by trust in God's abundance, are essential. Are you trusting in God's abundance or your abundance? Are you trusting that the things you've saved up are adequate enough that you should be able to take care of yourself no matter what? Are you thinking about your job's always going to be there? You're not going to have to worry about your job or anything? Lots of things can change, kids, very quickly. All right? Um, then going further, let's talk about physical things you can do. Uh, there's a, a great book called Eat, Move, Sleep. It's just real simple. Eat good food, move, exercise, go to work, sleep, sleep plenty of hours. I added to that drink, drink, breathe, love. Drink lots of water. Make sure you got adequate water going on. Think your way through. What would you do if your water system broke down? What's going to happen if your water system breaks down? Have you got a rain catchment? Have you got anything like that that you can keep water with? Uh, what happens if the city water can't come anymore? What happens if it can come and it's coming poisoned? It's coming, I don't mean intentionally poisoned, I mean simply it's just got too much bacteria and stuff in it. What will you do for water for your family? You've got to have water. What will you do for food for your family, all right? So breathe, take in lots of good air, and then love. We're told to love God with the whole heart, whole mind, body, and soul, and to love our neighbors ourselves. So let's talk about the spiritual implications as well as the physical implications. So here we go. Prepare food and water for at least three months. You ought to do that if you, if you think there might even be a tornado coming. You'll be doing that if there's not some, uh, some other kind of crisis might be coming. Grow as much of your own food as you can. I know that's a hard thing to say here in the end of July to grow your own food, but there's still time to grow some harvest, all right? Create friendships and deepen them with people who agree with you. And then practice intentional suffering. Here's what I mean by that. Get out of your air conditioning. It's great in here right now, isn't it? But it's also artificial. Will the Edgemont Bible Church meet next week if the power has gone out? Will we continue to meet if there's no air conditioning? We did that for a while. We put in big fans in here. We, we, we tried to cool off that way as we possibly could. But what would change? Why do I say get out of the air conditioning? Don't get used to it. The day may come you don't have it. So get out of the air conditioning. Practice fasting. Practice fasting. The day may come when you don't have enough for three meals a day. You may not have enough that you can have uh, that 21 meals in a week. Well, take a day where you're fasting. You may learn to economize there. Exercise for deep sweat for at least a half an hour. Get out and sweat. Now, I realize you don't have to exercise necessarily more. You just get out. <laughs> You're in a sweat lodge out there. Okay. Um, got the sauna going here. All right. Take a cold shower. For those of you who say, wait a minute, I'm not going there. That's, that's just too much. Well, how about this? How do you wash with warm water? and then rinse with cold water. In other words, what I'm asking you to do is get used to not having the comforts that you think you normally have because you might not have them. That's what I'm calling intentional suffering. You're doing it because you want to be prepared for what's coming. Uh, go on further. Eat less at meals. Watch less entertainment and replace it with reading and learning. What can you do? What kind of things do you need to know? What kind of th things do you need to Basically, I'm just saying this, toughen up. Toughen up. We're, if, if you can see anything at all, you know that some hard times are on their way, so toughen up. Number six, 
Read, learn skills, and form learning communities. We need each other. That's why we wanted to have the things we're having on Wednesday night. It's a way for us to get together, share food together, share fellowship with each other, share a conversation with each other, and build deeper relationships. Hopefully, we can exchange, well, what are you doing in your garden? What are you doing in yours? What are you doing in this? How are you taking care of your laundry? What are you doing here? Just to be able to have some time we can share together. How's your relationship with God? Is it doing good? So that you can talk with each other. What can I pray with you about? What can, you, what can we do together? And lastly, deepen your love and commitment to the Lord. Deepen your love and commitment to the Lord. Again, kids, these things begin with a broken relationship with God. Therefore, since we are wise people who believe God, deepen our relationship and commitment with Almighty God. All right? Today, you may not have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior yet. I'd like to encourage you this day. Jesus Christ is God's Son He's the perfect son, perfect uh, sacrifice for us. He was crucified, paying for your life, and was raised again from the dead. He's the living Savior. But he's coming again with judgment. And it's him that's bringing this all about right now. The Father's bringing these things about in order that the Son's kingdom may come. Today is the day to trust Jesus Christ if you have not. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to look into the Word of God together, to share with each other. I ask in Jesus' name, Father, you'll make us a strong and mighty people, able to help all kinds of people in the area because we see what's going on. Thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.